Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Jeff Bradbury, the host of the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. Thank you for making TeacherCast your home for professional development. There's, of course, a lot of great things that have been happening here on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network recently. We recently did a great tech educator podcast all about Google Spaces. If you haven't checked that Google Spaces, check it out today over at spaces.google.com. We've got some great tips, tricks, and uh, hints over on our website, techeducatorpodcast.com, and uh, look forward to hearing from you from there. Of course, there's been a lot of other things going on with our website. We just had a brand new refresh and redesign, and I want to say thank you to everybody who's been checking it out and also welcome you guys out there to join our family of guest bloggers. Um, We are up to over 55 educators now checking out the site and writing on the site. Uh, Many of you guys out there have a passion for writing and a passion for sharing your writings. We want to be that place to help you out. If you are a writer or want to get into that stuff, Please check us out. You can, of course, find us over on Twitter at TeacherCast. Email us at feedback at TeacherCast. And, of course, reach out to us by voice at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. We would love to hear you. We would love to have you be part of the TeacherCast educational writing community. Um, It is alive. It is warm it is welcome today we're going to be talking all about some of the things that you can do in your class with scannable technology my guest today is monica burns an apple distinguished educator author speaker teacher and fantastic person monica welcome to the show today how are you welcome to teacher cast oh thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for being here tonight. Tonight we're going to be talking all about some of the great things that you've been doing in your career. Talk a little bit about what it takes to be a scannable teacher and some of the scannable resources that that we have available to us. We'll talk a little bit about your time as an Apple Distinguished Educator. We'll talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about your wonderful blog, Class Tech tips.com If you haven't checked it out yet, ClassTechTips.com is a fantastic site. so many things. Where should we start, Monica? Let's just start at the beginning. Who is Monica Burns? Well, thank you so much for having me um, on uh, this evening. It's just such a pleasure to share some of the work that I've been doing. And just to give you a little bit of background about that and um, that work in the ed tech space, I'm a former New York City public school teacher. Um, now that I'm out of the classroom, I do teacher training and writing about all things ed tech. So all sorts of ideas for integration, really thoughtful, meaningful connections to learning goals for students. And that's really the focus of my work in in all facets um, of my day. Tell us a little bit about your time in the classroom. So I taught um, in New York City. My last two years were in a one-to-one iPad classroom, which really transitioned um, to the work that I do now for teacher training around thoughtful integration of educational technology tools. And it was a fantastic experience. I'm still here in New York and being able to, to kind of jet around to different spaces and places and see what's happening in, in other teachers' classrooms has been has been such a, a wonderful part of, of the work that I do now in addition to the writing and the sharing um, about uh, thoughtful technology integration. Now, with your teacher training, what types of topics are you training on these days? Is, is Google still the hot topic? Is Apple iPad still the hot topic? What are you finding out there as you go through different school districts and school systems? What are teachers really looking for these days? 
Great question. And, you know, I'm an Apple Distinguished Educator. Um, more often than not, I'm called to wear my iPad hat, if you will, when I go to visit different classrooms. But most of the training that I do, so a full day of professional development, a, a long term um, in the classroom engagement, um, has to do more with uh a larger view, if you will. So how are we using the tools that we have, whether they're Chromebooks, whether they're iPads, whether it's a BYOD and we have a little bit of everything um, to help turn our students into creators, to be more effective with our formative assessment, to integrate scannable technology into the work that we're doing. So um, it's been interesting over the past few years to really shift from uh, this is our device and what are we going to do with it to we have a wide range of possibilities and help us just be more effective, generally speaking, to make sure that the learning is first and the technology helps make that more efficient you know, and effective uh, for students and teachers. You know, I want to pick up on two things. You said you had mentioned scannable technologies but you also had mentioned students as creators. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? And why is it important that we allow students to take those risks, learn, fail, learn again, and be those creators? So really pushing students to the highest of levels. Um, it really goes beyond just evaluating to creating their own materials. And we can do that with a variety of technology tools, whether it's the new Adobe Spark tools, which I'm really excited about since they're device agnostic, or some of the book creator tools, which I'm doing a, a series of webinars for in the upcoming months, right? Really empowering students to demonstrate their understanding through creation tools is, is such an important part of their everyday experience. Um, in and outside of the classroom, huge for connections to real world environments. And so the scannable tech connection, I just wrote a new book about um, QR codes and augmented reality for deeper learning is, is obviously something I'm passionate about. But part of the ACES framework, the, the S in that framework, has to do with sharing student work. So there are digital creations. We can connect those to QR codes, to augmented reality triggers, and really use scannable tech to share student student creations to a wider audience in a very purposeful manner in a place that makes sense um, or giving some context to some of the work that they're creating. Well, let's get into this a little bit here. Scannable technology and uh, you, you call it the ACEs method. Is that, is that right? Am I saying that the right way? Yeah. So my book um, with Corwin that just came out this past March is uh, all about deeper learning with scannable technology. So QR codes and augmented reality. And in that book, I outline an ACEs framework for thinking about um, deep, meaningful, effective integration of scannable technology. And the A is for access. We can use scannable technology to quickly access information. You scan and you're there um, quickly, easily, um, really cutting down on some of that transition time, management issues, all of the above. And then the C in the ACEs is for curation. So I, as the educator, can decide, right, what are the just right materials for you? What are perfect for this moment, this exploration that we're doing? The E for engagement is more than just that gimmick and the hook and getting you excited, but am I really creating 
interactive experiences, something that's getting you in the flow of learning um, with engaging um, experiences with Scannables technology. And then coming back to that S with the sharing student work um, with Scannables. I connect the link to that creation that you made on ThingLink um, to a QR code that's attached to a poster or to the top, you know, the front of a book, um, book that gives someone some extra information before they dive in. So quick ways to really connect um, students with authentic audiences. So when we're looking at scannable technology, we really are looking at technology that can be used for scanning. Um, is, is scannable technology for everybody? I mean, I, I have had people ask me on a Chromebook, where is the camera on the other side? And I had to explain, mm-hmm. eh, it doesn't always have a camera on the other side. Is this, is this like an iPad, iPhone thing only? Or uh, talk to us a little bit about who yeah. scannable technology is and, and isn't for sometimes. So I love scannable technology because it's free. Um, You can create QR codes with a copy and a paste into a QR code generator like goqr.me. You can do it with qrstuff.com. You name it. You Google QR code maker and you'll get a whole bunch that pop up that are free and easy to use. Um, If you're in a Chromebook environment, you might say, you know what? My goal is to get materials in the hands of students and I can do that really easily with Google Classroom or Edmodo or Schoology. So maybe that's not the best route for you. Um, In a mobile environment, you're thinking all of my kids with all their devices can still have a QR code, can still have something like a Daiquiri app or Blipbar or Quiver that's Android and and iOS friendly. So we're good to go. Um, But Chromebooks are not uh, prohibitive. So you might have something that has a QR code and you could have a um, QR code that you can scan with that webcam. Um, on your Chromebook, something like webqr.com lets you scan using the built-in um, camera on your device. So it's all about choosing moments that are, are meaningful for your students. So what I love about Scannable technology is that you can thoughtfully place QR codes in different places. You can decide when you want to have augmented interactive experiences with students. And I think mobile devices are the obvious choice for that interactive, engaging experience. But it doesn't mean that just because you're on a Chromebook, you can't scan a QR code or make augmented reality experiences on our Erasmus Studio um, from your Chromebook. So just like any type of technology, it's about deciding what are your learning goals? What do you want students to be able to accomplish? And putting those objectives um, first and foremost before you move on to any other types of, of activities just for the because of it um, with students. We're talking to Monica Burns here from classtechtips.com. Monica, about scannable technology here, how young is too young? Is this something that we should be teaching our younger kids? I oftentimes see kids trying or teachers trying to use scannable technology QR codes in place of teaching typing. Is, is there a, a means for doing that in the younger grades? That's Yeah, that's a really good point to bring up because one of the great things about QR codes is I can scan that QR code and go straight to that website. And I do a a good deal of teacher training. And if I put a website up in front of a group of 40 teachers and ask them to type in that website and, and go to that place on the web, you know, half of the room might make an, an entry error. It's not because they can't spell the words 
or they don't understand the difference between uppercase and lowercase, it's because I'm asking them to do something with kind of a countdown clock because I want to move forward in the lesson. So for younger students, I don't see it as a crutch. Um, I see it as a way to get them connected to the right information in the right amount of time. Um, there's a time and a place to teach those other skills, like typing appropriately, copying something, and all of those pieces. But from a scannable perspective, you know, my goal with picking materials and getting students to those places quickly um, is to make sure that I'm using the 40 minutes, the 60 minutes I might have in a lesson as efficiently as possible. So I don't see it as much as a crutch, as much as a way to get them to where I need them to be in order to be most effective. You know, I, I love that you're talking about keeping it for the maximum time. Um, brings up a true story that somebody suggested to me that I actually tried. Um, they said, well, while you're I, I'm I'm going to say this here, but while you're planning out your school year, put a few QR codes in the restroom. And so that way, when the student decides to leave your class, they can scan the QR code and still be watching the video that you're teaching for the day. <laughs> Too much over the hill, over the top. Yeah. Like, what do you think? I mean, I, I have to tell you, you know, I'm a QR code person. I spent a good <laughs> deal of, of last year um, writing a manuscript that is now a, a published book that uh, is on Amazon. You can purchase it in paperback or download it on Kindle. And I feel very passionate about the power of scannable technology in the classroom, but it's just like anything, right? If I see a QR code on a coaster while I'm out to dinner or on the back of a cereal box or on a subway poster while I'm underground and I don't have any cellular service, you know, how am I going to scan this and, and get information? Am I going to scan the back of the ketchup bottle just so I can like that Heinz Facebook page? You know, I'm not sure if that's the type of agency I have as a consumer to interact with materials that way. So, you know, for any of the ways that we use technology, um, I want to make sure that it's it's very purposeful, um, that you have a vision for how it's going to be used, that there is some type of culture building within a school to make sure that you are setting up students and families for success, that they understand that when they scan something, this will happen and it will give you this type of benefit and that's wonderful and you see value in it. But I'm not sure that placing QR codes in all the corners of your building is the most effective way to use a technology um, that can be really powerfully implemented into a classroom. So it's all about, you know, what is that that culture in your school? Do your students have a sense of curiosity that when they have a down moment, they're going to scan the back cover of a book, that they're going to wait in the hallway and scan that poster to get more information? I'm just not sure if um, those kind of more intimate spaces or the less uh, um, spaces where there might not be conversations about text or, or things that are on the wall would be the most appropriate way to use it or somewhere where you would expect the, the same type of results that you might have in a space where, say, an art exhibit or a student work exhibit is on the wall and I know I can scan and I'll see um, a video pop up in an augmented reality experience is going to be very different than me passively scanning without really understanding what I'll get from that, if you will. Mm -hmm. I, I notice you're mentioning an awful lot of apps today. As somebody who's trying to get into scannable technology for the first time, um, what one or two apps would you steer them to just to kind of get their feet wet? 
Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in my book is, um, you know, my love of QR codes for being device agnostic or device neutral. So iNigma is one I usually throw around when I'm doing trainings because iNigma is available on iPad, on Android, um, on Blackberries, on Windows, you name it. So if your kids have it on the device in school, they can help their parents download it at home. It's, it's talks to each other. It's nice and simple. Um, and QR codes are a great way to get started. They're free. They're simple, very straightforward. Um, and the same thing goes with augmented reality. You can create your own AR experiences with Erasma, with Daiquiri, with Blipar and their dashboards. But there's also a lot of pre-made high quality augmented reality experience. Daiquiri has um, human anatomy. They have the elements. Quiver Vision has some really nice um, educational um, pages that you can print out um, and be ready to go with your students. So for those of um, you know the teachers just getting started, I love QR codes because they're free and easy and device neutral. Um, but I'm really excited about some of the pre-made augmented reality experiences as well. With all of these apps that are out there and that are available, um, one might ask the question, how do we determine good app versus bad app? Now, I'm looking over mm -hmm. here at Class Tech Tips, and I know you do offer a service where somebody can you know, sign up to send you an app and you'll, you'll review it. But, but talk to us a little bit about that. What kinds of things should a teacher consider when using an app or checking out an app or wanting to bring that app into their educational space? So my, um, my biggest mantra, if you will, and, and something that I bring into, into the talks that I do with teachers and a phrase that I use frequently is this idea of tasks before apps. Um, there's wonderful technology tools out there and there's great things that are exciting and, and energizing and that you see and you just want to use and figure out how they're going to fit into your classroom. But the most important piece is the, the learning objective. What is it that you want your students to accomplish by the end of the lesson? By the end of the school year, you know, you name it, right? You need to have that set out ahead of time and really understand what your goals are for learning at any point in the school year. And so that should come first and foremost when you're saying, all right, I know what it is my students need to do. What is going to help them get there? Maybe it would be great if there was an app that would help them figure out the differences between sedimentary rocks and igneous rocks, right? That would help them move in the direction I'm looking them to go. But ultimately, I want them to say, create a tutorial to help other students understand how to tell the difference between different types of rocks or the best strategy for solving a math problem. So for me, you know, when you're curating these apps for your own class, and, and obviously I do a lot of curation work and sharing of ideas of the how you could use this in your classroom, how I've used something in my classroom or seen it in other people's classrooms. It really comes down to your learning goals, what your students need, and, and what fits with your teaching style and just your goals for the school year. You know, Monica, I love the fact that you're always publishing. You're always out there sharing your knowledge with everybody. Um, I, I was looking through iTunes and I noticed that there's two books in particular here, 25 Ways to Become a Tech-Savvy yeah. Teacher, and then the other one is 25 More Ways. Mm -hmm. So we have 50 ways of being a tech-savvy teacher. What is the difference? Like, at what point should a teacher say, I'm tech-savvy? Is it just having an email address? Is it using AR somewhere in the mm -hmm. middle? How does one become a tech-savvy teacher or know that they are? So I think it really comes to a shifting of your mindset. 
to deciding, you know, what are your goals? What's working? What can I energize? What can I elevate with technology tools? Am I really preparing students for what's going to come into their world down the line? And there's a lot of unknowns there. When we think about what are transferable skills, what are 21st century skills, you know, we're really in this happy place right now in many schools of being in a Google classroom, having all these collaboration and all these different things happen on, on different Google tools. And it's wonderful. And by no means am I, you know, trying to, to downplay how important, you know, those tools are for supporting certain skills with students. But we also want to say, what are our big goals beyond the tool? I want students to be able to collaborate, to be able to comment on other student work effectively, to be able to create for a specific audience, to see connections to the real world. And so I really think that's where that bridge happens to, you know, being tech savvy is more than being literate with specific tools as to seeing the the big picture. And for me and the work that I do, a lot of which is with teachers who are, you know, mastering answering their emails, but maybe moving forward um, a little bit more with finding the right consumption tools, the right interactive tools, the right creation tools. And so for me, you know, I really like the idea of laying a foundation that feels comfortable, accessible, where teachers really see the potential for where things can go as more um, tools are are introduced and added to their tool belt. A lot of teachers out there, I can imagine, Monica, are trying to figure out where to go. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. got these hundred places to go or, you know, 25 this or that for blog posts mm-hmm. and, and all of that stuff is fantastic. I find that one of the best places to go looking for resources is Pinterest. And mm-hmm. I see that you have a very, very active site over here, Pinterest.com slash class tech tips. Do you find Pinterest is important to find stuff as it is to share stuff? Oh, I love Pinterest. And, you know, I do a lot of work with teachers when it comes to, you know, solving specific problems that they might have, right? We we have this issue when it comes to, you know, figuring out the best way for, you know, handling our, our conferences or for handling our small group instruction. And, and there are so many great resources on Pinterest. I find more often than not that I am searching on Pinterest as a search engine <laughs> than I am on Google for resources when I'm trying to support teachers. So, you know, if I'm working with school and they're they're trying to tackle a particular um, logistical problem or organizational issue, you know, I'll go into my Pinterest automatically mm-hmm. and just type in the same keywords I might put into Google into Pinterest because I'm going to find more relevant content, content that's curated by educators primarily, especially on a, you know, on a platform like Pinterest. You know, I find it to be a fantastic resource. And, and like you mentioned, I've been active on Pinterest for, you know, a handful of years now and and everything I I post and I'm excited about, I, I share on, on different pla- on Pinterest you know, pages as well, but it's just such a wonderful place to search within an ecosystem that you can feel, you know, is vetted to some extent in a way that Google might feel overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you can do a search on Google and get a a billion things. I I find Pinterest is the best place to find like STEM resources and those little things of, because it's all visual, right? Like I Mm want to learn how to make a catapult and boom, there's like five, 15 things, but they're (laughs) they're all visual. and, And I love the fact that they're all done by educators. Yes. Monica, where, who do, when you're looking for inspiration for writing things, when you're looking for what's that next subject, what's that next app, who's got it, where do you go? 
that's just a, such a wonderful thing to to highlight because I think for all of us, no matter where we are in our stage of say tech integration or just our educational journey, you know, our our individual PLNs are are so crucial. And I'm very lucky to be part of the Apple Distinguished Educator Network. So there's so many folks that I follow, whether it's on Facebook or Pinterest or on Twitter lists. And, and those are, are people who I really value their opinion for what they're trying out themselves, for what they heard about and are excited. Um, and I really get to travel a good deal and, and speak about tools that I'm excited about. And, and being at different conferences regionally really is, is wonderful because I'm able to see what people are excited about in different, say, parts of the country or different kind of hotbeds of innovation. Um, and it's, it's just so exciting to see what trends are there and, and commonalities, but also what little things are really picking up in, in certain, in certain places as well. We're here talking to Monica Burns from class tech tips, speaker, author, educator, um, you name it, she's done it. Monica, before I let you go, um, we have a little tradition here when we have people come on the show. I'm going to spring this one on you. It's called mm-hmm. the Jersey five, Five questions to make you really think about things right now. Would you be interested and willing to be put on the spot to take the Jersey um, Five? Happily, happily. All right. Question number one. They, they're, they get harder as they go here. Mm-hmm. Your favorite Twitter handle to follow or hashtag to follow? Well, as I mentioned before, you know, I'm a big fan of what's happening in New Jersey education um, as a as a New Yorker turning into a New Jerseyan. Um, so the Sat Chat Twitter handle is one that I follow whether I am participating live on time um, in Sat Chats on Saturday morning or I'm catching up a little later on a Saturday afternoon. Um, it's a place where I'm just so inspired by what people are sharing. All right. Number two favorite educational tool to use recommend however you want to end that well i've been really excited about nearpod um and it's been something i use in the classroom gosh uh going on you know three or four years ago at this point um with my students um before i left the classroom and it's something i use on the ground with teachers and one of the reasons i love it so much is because of the way you can easily set up and plan for formative assessment um, but also do those in the moment embedded formative assessment to gather information on on student understanding and and make decisions for where your lesson is going to go today and then the next day nice we love Nearpod here on TeacherCast. Mm-hmm. What is, number three, what is the best advice you've ever been given as an educator? Well, I think my best advice might have been when I was in the classroom, this idea that, you know, there's a tomorrow. <laughs> so when you feel like you might have hit your, your wall for the day, um, that you did as much as you can do on what feels like a, a never-ending to-do list as a classroom teacher or as an educator in any role, um, that tomorrow will come. And you'll be able to pick it up and your mission will still be the same. Um, and, and that was huge for me in terms of, of really thinking about um, what the, my week would look like, let alone um, what my, my day-to-day would be. That's a good one. I, I like that one. That's a good one. Uh, number four, what do you hope your students remember about you when they graduate at the end of the year? Gosh, um, you know, I've gone through... A handful of classes and and it's been interesting to have some some children who are now beyond their elementary years graduating who have reached out to me on on social media and all those channels and 
you know, I really just hope that students remember that they need to ask questions. They need to be curious um, that they may not find the answers right away. But one of my goals as an educator was always to create an environment where we're really saying them, but what if this and then, right? And just keep going with those questions because we might not find something right away. But I just want students to feel this this passion to to keep asking those questions. Number five and last one here. What is the best teachable moment you've ever had? Oh, I would say some of my favorite teachable moments came during read alouds and having taught um, grade five before I left the classroom. So students who might feel a little old for a picture book, but so on target (laughs) for a picture book at the same time. Um, I just love some of the questions, um, some of the, the moments and the responses where you just know you have to pause during Pink and Say by Patricia Polacco or during a heavy Eve Bunting book and, and have those conversations to address some questions that students might pop up. I just, I love the way that a read aloud can promote questions. And I know it's not a particularly techie answer, um, but it's definitely something that I feel is just a, a best practice and an important part of our, our whole child integration. You know, I swear out there, I, I did not give her these questions ahead of time. She. <laughs> <laughs> Monica, where can we uh, connect with you? Where can we can, can find you online? Give us a little bit of a, a few plugs here. So classtactips.com is where um, I blog. We're doing a, a big site uh, revamp, which I think will be live, uh, fingers crossed, uh, by the end of this week. So you can go there and sign up for my newsletter. I do weekly newsletter with my roundup from the week, my seven posts from the week, as well as giveaways uh, in between uh, d- during the end of the week. And then of course on Twitter at Class Tech Tips. I just, I just love Twitter as a social media platform for connecting. So I share lots and lots on Twitter, but I also love um, getting all those comments as well and, and hearing what people are excited about. So I would say heading to the website, signing up for the newsletter, and of course, you know, reaching out at, at Monica at classtechtips.com is, is the best way to to connect. Monica, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And again, classtechtips.com. Check it out. Probably by the time you listen to this, it'll be the new classtechtips.com. Um, <laughs> and 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 I'd love to have you back on sometime. We'll do our educational podcasting show. We can talk all about WordPress how the website works. We'll get mm-hmm. into all those all those <laughs> kind of details. We love talking about all that stuff over on that specific podcast. Um, again, Monica, thank you so much and uh, good luck with the book. And if you guys haven't checked it out yet, certainly do go over to Class Tech Tips and check it out. Uh, subscribe to her newsletter. I just did. I think there's a lot of great stuff on here that we can learn from. Certainly give Monica... Um, some time over there on Class Tech Tips. Thank you very much for checking out TeacherCast today and having TeacherCast be the home of your professional development. There's, of course, several great ways that you can reach out to us and be a part of the show each and every week. We love it when you find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us at, e- at feedback at TeacherCast.net. And, of course, this show can be archived over on iTunes and on YouTube. On behalf of everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.